You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome everybody, this is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for the 2nd of February 2022. Apologies, this program was supposed to go up yesterday and the there won't be, probably for a few weeks, there won't be any live program, which is usually available at megiddoradio.com forward slash live, just for the next few weeks. Uh, just to try and figure out the new schedule, I don't know when I can do a live program. There, there will be something in a few weeks, I'm sure. And uh, I have a new placement that is starting. Uh, for those of you not aware, I'm training for the ministry, and uh, I'm I'm licensed to preach the gospel. And I'll be available for a call to a church from May 1st onwards, and that'll be in the summer. If you keep keep me in your prayers for that, that would be really appreciate that. And I'm on my second placement now, uh, graduate placement, starting in Lisbon Reform Presbyterian Church. So really look forward to getting stuck into that. And so new schedule and um, going to just be podcast for the next few weeks, probably audio only, and just allowing for. And then I'll see which slot would be the best time for a live program. If you have any suggestions for programs or anything else like that um, get a radio that's m-e-g-i-d-d-o radio at gmail.com if you've got any suggestions for programs anything you'd like me to to review or look over or you have questions you'd like me to answer anything like that and uh, hopefully uh, that can be done what else um so that's that news podcast probably for a few weeks we'll try and I prefer the live program. I prefer sometimes people send me in questions and stuff like that. Uh, pre-recorded podcasting, it's hard to get back into, I'll be honest. So, okay, well, I'll be, I'll, to, today on the program, we're going to be doing the larger catechism. And I haven't been keeping up. Sometimes this program will cover the news and all the things. That I haven't been keeping up much with what's going on because... While there does seem to be a lot going on all the time, it just seems to be horribly repetitive and the same problem over and over again, um, men's rebellion against the commandments of God. And you, you have a culture that is rapidly, openly trying to rip apart the foundations of society. So I don't cover all the topics. They're very, very similar to each other be that trans issues and all. I will cover that from time to time. At the moment in the UK, we have a thing called Partygate, and um, I'm sure that's a story that's been international at this moment in time. But for those of you not aware, I'm sure there's not many of you out there, but there's been the our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and a lot of the members of his government, and I'm sure there's other people of possibly the media, I'm not sure there's other people who are at these parties. This was during the summer of 2020 when everybody was told that there was this scary virus around and all this kind of stuff. And um, 
the one takeaway that so they were all they were all having these get-togethers and parties and they're all meeting together la- fairly large numbers enjoying um, birthday parties all sorts of things and you couldn't even be with dying relatives in their last few moments and you couldn't go to funerals and you couldn't go do all sorts of things now the rules were insane we were they were immoral unethical wrong from the get go but it's worse when you have people who are basically terrorizing the population for the last I don't know nearly two years now and not even following the rules that they set out themselves. Now, if we take away anything from this, I think we should take away this. The people who are getting all this advice from Sage, that was the the body who was telling them, giving them the scientific advice and they, they had this thing was so dangerous for everybody else, but not for them, of course, that but they clearly weren't afraid. And this was back when the virus was much worse. Now we've got Omicron, which is basically a head cold for, I don't know, 99.99 whatever percent of people. It's far milder than Delta and all this kind of stuff. But whatever the case may be, they weren't afraid. They had all this information at their fingertips, and they weren't afraid. Neither should you. Go back to normal. Meet with people. Smile. Hug, shake hands. Somebody's not quite ready yet, be patient with them, but let's move on with life, people. This COVID nonsense has gone on far too long. So that's that's really what's, you know. And we can get angry and we can get annoyed. I don't expect much from the Boris Johnson, the government of Boris Johnson. I really don't. So I, I don't really get angry. I, I just, I, I, yeah. I don't expect anything else from him. I, I, I'm surprised when he actually follows through what he says. So, now we should obviously show respect to authority. We should pray for those in authority. We should pray for repentance. But we, I don't think, yeah. We need to move on. And it's really that that's made the UK stand out as being a little bit different from the rest of the world because Austria and Germany becoming more totalitarian and Australia and New Zealand becoming more totalitarian by the day in their fear and then their Canada it's pretty bad the people who are and the UK were pushing this fear probably far more than other governments around the world especially in 2020 they didn't believe what they were saying they obviously didn't and one thing that removes the I don't want to say the anger there's a sense in which you know you see slaves to sin you feel sorry for them because but for the grace of God, we would be where they are doing what they do. But we give place to wrath. There's there's a coming day of judgment, and that's what we're going to talk about today in looking at question 89 of the Westminster Larger Catechism onwards. There is coming a day of judgment 
they, all these rulers of the world, the judges of the world, the magistrates of the world, those who be given authority on this earth, who are to be ministers of God, and this is the beginning of Romans 13, they will have to answer before God. They don't have to answer to me or the will of the people. Above all else, they will have to answer to God. And that's a fearful thing. We, we, we can be annoyed, we can be so frustrated, but just put things in context, dear friends. Okay? Put things in context. But all the, the things that are going on, I'm not saying that they're not horrible. We're trying to, sometimes we try to downplay it. No, no. Put it in context of this. There will come a day of perfect justice. Justice will come for them. Now, we pray that people will repent and be saved. Okay, all of us have been saved by grace. However, no one's going to get away with it. The politicians, those in authority, those who've been given this power, those who are doing for their own ends, there will come a day of justice. They will answer for their crimes. They will answer for their lies. They will answer for their blasphemies. They will answer for everything else. There will come a day of judgment. And we pray that in the clear judgment that is happening upon our nation, our nations across the world, name the nation, that it would show to the people who live in there and make it clear that their ways are futile. Their ways are the ways to destruction, the wide road that leads unto death. Appears great at the beginning, but it is a road that leads unto destruction. Many things to get annoyed about, but I think now, probably more than ever, we need to disconnect. Probably more and more, and I and I question even whether I'll get rid of my Facebook at some stage. I used to be a big proponent years ago of. You know, because I got saved online back in 2009. I was, videos I saw of different people helped me, to, the Lord. And I see a limited use for it. And I, I think it's useful just in the same way tracks are useful and things like that. But a lot of it, I, I, I just question the fruit. And the, the most important thing is being involved in our own church. And being helping out there and helping our, our our suffering neighbor. And you know what? There would have been times in the past where we would have questioned where are the opportunities to serve? Where are the... Do you know what? There's so many people suffering. Isolation. There are people who are lonely. There are people who are in your local area. I'm not talking about people halfway around the world. Not against that of, you know, you're related to them or something like that. But there's people down the road from you suffering. Go visit them. Go call into them. There's different things like that. There's lots of opportunities to serve. And I think our economies are in big trouble. So the Lord is presenting opportunities. We can look at it negatively, positively. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. The positive side is we're going to have more opportunities to serve. The Lord is... Is going is going to use us for his glory. 
Man will have his apparent five minutes in the sun, but it will end. This life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The, the kingdom of God is from everlasting to everlasting. His, 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 his reign will continue forever and ever. And it's in that context we think of the coming day of judgment. The judge who is long-suffering, patient, loving, kind, above any of our comprehensions. One day, that patience, that long-suffering will end. And if you're listening to this and you're not in Christ, you will answer for your own crimes just as much as the, the, the leaders of the nations will answer for their crimes. Anyone who is not in Christ. Anyone who has not been clothed by the righteousness of Christ. Who has not put on the royal robes of righteousness. Who has not been washed by the blood of the Lamb. The problem is, most don't see themselves as sinners because most don't value Christ and they don't value his law and they don't love him. And the standard of righteousness and what classifies as good has been pulled down. It is not the standard of righteousness which is of heaven. So we're going to just read... (laughs) Wasn't expecting that long of an introduction, but we're going to read a section of God's holy word before we begin this section. We're going to read Matthew 25, verse 31, to the end of the chapter. Before we get into the, the questions, question 89 of the Westminster Latter Catechism, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to your soul. So, Matthew 25, verse 31, to the end of the chapter, let us hear God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did you see, when when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. 
Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And may God bless his word. So that is dealing with the the judgment that will come and the difference in fruit and behavior, you could say, of those who have been born again, those who are those people who will be brought into everlasting punishment and those people who... The righteous will be brought into everlasting life, but the righteous based upon the merits of Christ. But there will be also a lived out righteousness in their lives. That's not the righteousness, by the way, which they're received by God, but there will be a right, but the righteous on into eternal life. And you can tell the difference between somebody's born again and somebody's not, and this is the difference. How you treat the brethren, how you treat those who are in Christ is essentially how you treat Christ. If we think of when the Lord stopped Paul, or Saul as he was at the time, on the road to Damascus, why do you persecute me? The persecution was of the church. But it was also the persecution of Christ. How you treat the bride, how you treat the church, is how you treat Christ and what you think of Christ. And this is kind of the idea here. Do you love the bride? If you love his people, then you love him. There's no point in pretending that you love God if you don't love his people. Now, we will love his people imperfectly, of course. But there will be love for his people that will be there. So question 89 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this. What should be done to the wicked at the day of judgment? What should be done to the wicked at the day of judgment? This is the larger catechism now of the Westminster Large, the Westminster Catechism. Answer, at the day of judgment, the wicked shall be set on Christ's left hand and upon clear evidence... And full conviction of their own consciences shall have the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. And thereupon shall be cast out from the favorable presence of God and the glorious fellowship with Christ, his saints, and all his holy angels into hell to be punished with unspeakable torments, both of body and soul with the devil and his angels forever. So there will come a day of judgment. It's fearful. And there is no escaping it. If we have this in context, we don't we're not ignoring anything. We're not pretending things aren't happening, but we see the world and the current level of chaos in the proper context. It is the the rulers of this world, 
those outside of Christ have everything to fear. But if you're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Because this is far worse than any persecution of man. This is far more scary than any persecution of man. This is why we fear God and would not fear man. And we just read out that clear evidence. Clear evidence that they are not belonging to Christ. And then there's the fearful and just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. So there will be a sentence. Now, they're already condemned. The wrath of God abides upon them. This is uh, what John 3, 36. And thereupon shall be cast from the favorable presence of God. And so, the favorable presence, because they're sinners, God cannot look upon sin or, or the sinner with favor. But if you're in Christ Jesus, he delights in you. And you delight in him. And the glorious fellowship with Christ. So you'll be cast out of that if you are one of the wicked, one of those who are not born again, one of those trusting in their own works and their own efforts, his saints and all the holy angels into hell to be punished with unspeakable torments. And we cannot completely wrap our heads around the torments of hell. I remember, tragically, before I was a Christian, thinking more of a caricature of hell that it was all, it was this fun place. You know, all the cool people would be down there and all this kind of stuff. But it is God pouring out his wrath. Both of body and soul. The soul would be tormented and the body would be tormented and... It will be what the wicked deserve. It's what we deserve, by the way, as well. Those are in Christ. But Christ has taken that wrath and paid that penalty so that the coming day of judgment for the, for the, the person in Christ Jesus is no, nothing to be fearful of. It is um, we look forward to the return of Christ, our beloved Savior. But those who are in rebellion against him who, who have never turned to Christ, well, then there is a fearful future ahead. And, and that's all that's going to matter in 500 years' time and 200 years' time for you. This life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. All the things you worry about, all the other things that you we spend our time thinking about, not nearly as important as we think they are. This is the most important thing. And if we had this in front of us, wouldn't we read the Bible more? Feed our souls more? Wouldn't we pray to God more? Wouldn't we be more attentive in church, listening to God's word preached to our souls? Holy 
meals prepared for us and we would listen attentively because this is eternity and because of the consequences of what is being told to us and you grow in sanctification grow in your knowledge of him and as you grow in your knowledge of him you grow in your dependence upon him you see more of your sinfulness you see yourself as a greater sinner more and more you see the heinousness of your sin and also the more you depend upon him also your assurance will grow I mean, you cannot lose your salvation as a believer in Jesus Christ. But if you are, you know, you're just treading water, barely reading your Bible, barely, you know, barely praying or whatever the case may be, don't be surprised if you do struggle with assurance. There's no shortcuts to that. And there's times when God keeps back assurance from those who are truly born again, but so that they are not just filled with, you know, just the comforts of this world. They're just, no, he wants them filled. He wants these people filled with him, loving him and thinking about him. So, question 90 of the Westminster Large Catechism, what should be done to the righteous at the day of judgment? So, the day of judgment is coming, and what will happen to the righteous when that happens? At the day of, uh, at the day of judgment, the righteous, being caught up to Christ in the clouds, shall be set on his right hand, and there, openly acknowledged and acquitted, shall join with him in the judging of reprobate angels and men, and shall be received into heaven, where they shall be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery, filled with inconceivable joys, made perfectly holy and happy, both in body and soul, in the company of innumerable saints and holy angels, but especially in the innumerable, oh sorry, but especially in the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit to all eternity. And this is the perfect and full communion which the members of the invisible church shall enjoy with Christ in glory at the resurrection and day of judgment. Wow, that does encourage you as a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know what will. So let's go through this. There's a lot here. At the day of judgment, when that day comes, when Christ returns, there will be a catching up, caught up to Christ in the clouds. And that is, of course, referring to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, that brings up questions of uh, the... Often how this is interpreted with the rapture or the quote-unquote secret rapture. I know dispensationalists don't like that title. Um, There is a rapture of sorts, a catching up into the air. But this happens also at the end of time. This is why dispensationalism, among other reasons, is not confessional, at least it's not in any way consistent with the Westminster Standards. 
there will be a catching up of the Bride of Christ at the end of time when Christ returns. We're told this in First Thessalonians four seventeen. That's what it's referring to. That's yes, there is a catching up, and you know when, <laughs> you know when I do get asked by dear dispensations brothers in Christ, and they ask me, you know, do I believe in a rapture? Yeah, just a question of when. And I know it's it's a, you know reformed people saying no, you know, not as in they really they mean is not what you think. You know, followed by seven years of tribulation or three and a half or whatever, and then a thousand years comes after that. No, these things are one and the same time. These happen at the coming, at the return of Christ. There's one return of Christ, not several, I guess is the way to say it. According to Reformed theology, according to Christianity for centuries. Okay. Um, dispensationalist teaching really... Okay. It's not exclusive to the last 200 years. There's elements of it you possibly find in the odd church father here and there. But, and you can find any kind of teaching, by the way, in the church fathers, you know, because there's such variations over how certain texts were understood and et cetera and so on. So you can set up but any doctrine apart from the deity of Christ, apart from things like that. Um, but at the day of judgment, the righteous being caught up to Christ in the clouds and we set at his right hand, and they're openly, so they'll be caught up. Whoever's there at the last day, be caught up, acknowledged, acquitted, and they won't be part of the judgment of, of those who are not caught up. Um, openly acknowledged and acquitted shall join with him in the, and they will join with him in the judging of reprobate angels and men. So, we will judge, the righteous will judge. Uh, by the way, the bride comes back with Christ, so there's, we will judge angels and men, sinners. Now, you, we might think, how can we do that? But we will be made holy. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will be like him in holiness and righteousness and our hatred of sin and sinners will be perfected and you will have people multitudes who will hate god these are not people who have some kind of a Oh, well, if we only realized that we would have turned... No, they're, they're still slaves to sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you... Remember that? This is why... This is what's so great about the, the Westminster... Larger Catechism. Any of the catechisms. Uh, go read the confession because it is <laughs> people talk about basic systematic theology Westminster Confession or Heidelberg Catechism I'm not saying that I'm Heidelberg but it's, it's a great reformed confession putting these things together 
and shall be received into heaven. So there will be the judging of reprobate angels, the angels who fell, and men, and shall be received into heaven, those people, where they shall be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery. So that is, there is a deliverance, there is a salvation that will come from the presence of sin, from the misery of sin, from from seeing, you know, the current news cycle, all these kind of things, the sin of our own hearts. You know, we will be like him. We will be changed. We have been changed at the, you know, the beginning of regeneration, but we're still sinners. We we are righteous in Christ. He represents us. He's the advocate of the Father, but we're not sinless yet. It says, filled with inconceivable joys. Filled with inconceivable joys. Referencing there from Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures for ever more. We can't wrap, you know, we, we talk about how we can't wrap our heads around the horribleness of hell. We can't wrap our heads around the, the wonderfulness of heaven. It's not something to look forward to. Made perfectly holy and happy. You know, some of, some of, the, some of the saints in Christ, don't, some of us struggle with worry and anxiety more than others. And there are those people, you know, perhaps you're listening to this and there are times you go through seasons where you feel particularly low. And I remember I was preaching on the Lord's Day and I remember thinking about Elijah and the lows of Elijah where he, he just wanted it to end. Same with Job. He wanted his life to end, Job chapter 3. So, Godly men. You also think of Jonah. I mean, what Jonah was being asked to do wasn't particularly easy, by the way. Going to Nineveh. The place where they went and conquered and skinned people alive. Far worse. <laughs> far worse than the Biden administration. And I would, I would dare say far worse than Boris Johnson and any administrations we have around at the moment. You know, you'd be surprised. And then you're asked to go and preach there it's sometimes we we misunderstand jonah he should have went of course but how many of us the lord has been prodding upon our hearts men with suitable qualifications the church can see you are sufficiently gifted but you don't want to be in that position. I was like that before years ago, first year or two I was saved. I was like, I don't want to be a preacher. Didn't really want to. Um, but I didn't really have peace until I submitted. The Lord won't give you peace until doesn't mean you have to be a minister. Maybe the Lord is working on your heart to serve as a ruling elder or serve as a deacon or just well, serve, serve in some capacity. 
By the way, you can't really know unless... You can't really know if you're gifted in those areas unless you serve before. You know, the, the, the testing is, do you serve? A, a big test is not the only test, but a big test is, are you serving among the people in various capacities, demonstrating specific gifts that people wouldn't recognize, go, oh, that person would make a really good ruling elder. And for those of you who don't know what a ruling elder is in, I'm a Presbyterian, former Presbyterian, covenanter. The, the ruling elders and the teaching elders are, in the governmental sense, you know, they all rule together, and there might be at least three in a session, and they will, for the, the local congregation, they will exercise the keys of the kingdom. Um, there might be more than three elders, but they're all on the same footing. You know, some of our in our, in our own denomination, sometimes there's eight. There's as many as eight or ten. I think there's one or two congregations of quite a number of elders. And praise God for that. They can serve in various different ways. But, you know, you want to be considered for that or whatever. Not that you're trying to be advanced, but just serve, serve. There's different ways people can serve. Half the time, I think people are struggling in their Christian walk because they're not serving. We, we were just read at the end of Matthew 25. You know, I, I wonder, are we sometimes, we're so focused on ourselves, we're so inward focused on our issues, we're not serving, and that can be a reason why our own issues are so important, we have to solve that out before we serve anybody else. No, just serve, in whatever capacity. You know, you're not sure, maybe go ask your elders or something, is there any way... I can, and that could be even cleaning up the building in the middle of the week between the services or whatever. Whatsoever you put your hands to, do it all for the glory of God. You know, use your talents and your gifts to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. I think it's something that's really struggling with in the last couple of years serving, serving one another, serving our neighbor, visiting people. I think many of us realize how important it is now because we've been so isolated in the last two years from each other. How much we need each other. Not this nonsense on the internet. No, no, no. With each other. Fellowshipping with each other. Not Zoom meeting with each other. I mean, look, if that's the best you can get, okay, fine. But for 99.99% of people that's not and unless you are elderly and sick or something like that well you can get out and you can but there'll be joy in the presence of heaven what are we going to be doing for all eternity filled with inconceivable joys worshipping him that's what we're going to do for all eternity we're and we're going to love doing it. We're not going to get tired. We're going to be refreshed. Do you love the worship of God here? Do you love to go to worship? Do you, are you excited to go to worship? 
These are all areas we can work in our, our hearts, but our flesh is sometimes fighting against us. Are we encouraged through the singing of the Psalms? Yes, I said the Psalms, 150 Psalms that the church was given. Now we struggle, but there will come a day when we won't struggle anymore. When we will be made, as it says here in in question 90, made perfectly holy and happy. Because true blessedness, true happiness in, in in a spiritual sense is found with God. True misery and horror is found apart from God. Because he is a source of life. He is a source of joy and goodness. Made perfectly holy, both in body and soul, in the company of innumerable saints and holy angels. Says in Hebrews twelve twenty two, but ye are come into unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into innumerable company of angels. You know when you sing with you know sometimes people go to conferences and there's loads of people there and there's, you're 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 just singing your heart out with other people. That's so encouraging. You you love it. Well, here they'll be singing with an innumerable, can't even count them. So many people there. And holy angels. It'll be quite special. And it will be infinitely greater than the greatest earthly pleasures you can get here. It says in the, in the answer, but especially in the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit to all eternity. So it made perfectly holy and happy both in body and soul, but especially in the, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but just to connect it, but especially in the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father. That joy, that holiness and happiness is through the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit to all eternity. If we could just get that, wrap our heads around that, how would it change our focus? How would it remove worry and concern and all sorts of things? And at the end, it says this in, the, in, in answer 90, and this is the perfect and full communion. We have but tastes right here, right now on this earth. We have but slight windows. It's like we're looking in and we, we, we taste little bits of it. Fractions of it. And even that is joyous and glorious and wonderful to the believer. In Jesus Christ. And it's something we ought to grow in. Grow in our enjoyment. Our understanding. Our love of. And our study of the scriptures. As we go on. In our walk with Christ. But there's going to come a day. When there's full communion. When there's no distractions. And that's really what the Sabbath should be. You know, we fail. Of course we do. But 
And this is the perfect and full communion, it says in this answer here, answer 90, which the members of the invisible church shall enjoy with Christ in glory. Now, the invisible church, we do not know when we go to church who are actually born again and who are not. Those people with a credible, outwardly credible profession of faith can join the church, them and their children, those in their household. But it is only those who have been born again who are actually in Christ, not not just outwardly professing, but actually born again in Christ, the invisible church, that's what it's referred to, because that's why in, in church services you you do you know the you do acknowledge and realize when you're you're going through different things that most likely that there's some people there who are not born again and they might you probably won't have a clue who they are and that weaker person you think oh I'm not sure if that person's born again and they actually are or whatever the case may be that that's why the gospel is preached. Now, you don't go there presuming everybody's lost or anything like that, but that there will be, in the, in the purest churches under heaven, on this earth, subject to mixture and error, and that's chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The purest churches, no matter how good your church is, it will be subject to mixture and error. There's no perfect church on this earth. It is the in members of the invisible church. Something that has been challenged, by the way, by you know proponents of you know federal vision and things like this. With the members of the invisible church shall enjoy with Christ in glory. This full communion, when is it going to be? At the resurrection and day of judgment. At the resurrection. Now, our bodies will go into the ground. But they will be raised at the day of judgment. They will be raised on the last day. They will be raised. So our body. How do I know that our bodies will rise from the dead. Well, from the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but we know because we're in Christ, Christ rose from the dead, he was resurrected from the dead, and so we will be. Not just regenerated, born again of the Spirit. Yes, that is true, by the way, but our bodies will one day be, will rise from the grave. So much to look forward to, isn't there? And in days like this, when the news cycle just seems so glib and unity seems to be so hard to come by. Now, unity is not going to come by us just ignoring the things. I, I imperfectly try to cover some of the things, and I think it's important in some way, shape, or form that we have some awareness of going on and have a biblical response to it, that we're absorbing ourselves with the word of God, not the latest decrees from the state. 
and being wrapped up with, you know, the, the politics of the day. Okay, these are fallen men. These are fallen men. And fallen men, without the word of God to guide them, do not have the answers. And that's what most of Western politics is. It's not that we don't take any interest in it. I think there's an extreme with some people. It's like if you have any interest or any knowledge about it, well, therefore you're some kind of culture warrior or something like that. But to spend the vast majority of your time most of the time thinking of it through the lens of scripture so that, yes, you see these things are what they are, but then you see it in light of eternity and it is tiny in comparison, in terms of importance, compared to eternity. Whatever may come in terms of the erosion of medical ethics, Christian medical ethics, the, the coercion that is being practiced lately in, in, in the threatenings and all sorts of things when it comes to you know, vaccine mandates and all sorts of things like that. Whatever fear we may have in our hearts about that, there's going to come a day of judgment. Which is far more fearful? To fall into the hands of the living God or to fall into the hands of mere men? And I'm talking about in terms of judgment. We are to fear God. We're to fear the wrath of God. Now, I think it'd be appropriate as well. There's another section, having seen what the scriptures principally teach us to believe concerning God, it follows to consider what they require as the duty of man. So this is the duty of man. We've got a few minutes. We'll just wrap up here in about, I think, five minutes. So the duty of man is very, very important to consider. This is the, this is the heading within the larger catechism. And you're kind of going on to a different section. Question 91, what is the duty which God requireth of man? Because God has created us in his image. There is requirements which we have. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the, this is the problem and this is why there is the judgment of God. This is why there is the coming day of judgment. Because there is a violation of the law of God. And what is the duty which God requireth of men? Answer, the duty which God requireth of man is obedience to his revealed will. Very, very simple. His revealed will. Perfect personal obedience. Now, there's only one who achieved that. That is Christ Jesus. And if we, are, if we trust in him, we are received as righteous in him. By faith alone. The alone instrument of salvation. By faith, we have laid hold upon salvation because it's all a work of God. It is all a work of grace. The, the faith to believe is itself a saving grace. It is something that God has provided for his people. In question 92, what did God at the first reveal unto man as the rule of his obedience. So now we're looking at various things to do with the moral law. And I think I'm going to try and maybe spend 
um, a bit of time, maybe well, more or less a second s- separate program talking about the moral law and how the law of God is divided up and why it is in such a way that one of the books that really helped me when, when it came to the law of God to recommend to you is Thomas Watson's book, The Ten Commandments. It's one of the, my favorite books that I've ever read. It just really helped me. And Watson, you know, you may have read some of the Puritans and you may have found it maybe a, maybe a degree tricky or whatever. Watson's Ten Commandments is wonderful. And... Um, I should probably get back to reading more Watson and other things I haven't read by him, but that is a book I recommend uh, to people on that. But the last question we're going to do this uh, on this week's episode, and by the way, we'll get back to Tuesdays, probably no podcast, or no, probably no live program next week, but we'll try and get back to the live program at some stage soon. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, I should have put up a notice before. Apologies for that. But question 92, we're going to finish off here. Question 92, what did God at the first reveal, so he revealed unto man as the rule of his obedience? The answer is the rule of obedience revealed to Adam in the estate of innocence and to all mankind in him. So this is to him. And this is to Adam, but this is all to mankind. Besides a special command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, was the moral law. So just to break that down just a little bit when we finish off here. The rule of obedience to Adam in the estate of innocence, this is before the fall, and to all mankind in him. So Adam is represents all of mankind. Besides besides apart from okay this is you know a special command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge good and evil so that is apart from that was the moral law so and and by the way that command not to eat of the tree of good and evil knowledge of good and evil was a test of the keeping of the moral law and the moral law is summarized in a number of ways the moral law, we'll get into it next week, but this is this is the duty of man. And this is where we fall short, and this is where we're woefully uh, ill-equipped. There's a lot of antinomianism around, but the, the moral law is there in, 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 in before the fall. It is summarized in the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1 to 4, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's one way to summarize down the first table of the law. It is duties toward God and duty toward men to love your neighbor as yourself. Commandment 5, to honor your father and your mother all the way down to thou shalt not covet. The 10th commandment. Those are toward your neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself so that's how it's it's the same law but it's summarized down even the ten commandments are a summary the fifth commandment for example is not just about your biological parents or whatever else it's also about 
um, it, it summarizes down the, the respect for what would be said in, in the Westminster standards, inferiors to superiors and not inferior in terms of value or anything like that, but inferior in terms of rank. So in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Yes. That is, but as a summarization of more generally, um, honor your boss at work. By the way, the fifth commandment goes two ways, and we'll look at that in later weeks. It's not just about inferiors to superiors, but also superiors to inferiors. There is an obligation by the fifth commandment for those in authority, for those who they rule over. So these are summarization. This is the law of God written in the heart of man. God has, cre God has created man in his image. And since the fall of man, those who are outside of Jesus Christ suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They withhold the truth and unrighteousness. So hopefully that has been some way to whet your appetite for the next program on the Westminster Logic Catechism. I'm not sure if it'll be next week or the week after. It depends what what is to be covered i might be doing a review of something next week or the week after please check in you can also email me we get a radio at gmail.com if you have questions please ask away i will do my best to answer them can't promise anything um, if you are not a christian i'd urge you to trust in jesus christ seeing that you are a sinner if you are a christian make sure you're a member of a local church preaches the gospel and if you are a member of a local church that preaches the gospel and you are trusting in jesus and jesus alone go serve go serve the people of god find ways to help pray for those whom you serve with it's been paul flynn may god bless you all